<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. Tonight, we take a closer look at the global culture of health. But first, Athletic Care Sports Health Foundation is placing certified athletic trainers in Gateway City Schools to create safer sports programs. Joining me now, Ashley Jenkins. She's an athletic trainer in the University City School District. And Brett Holtgrew, he's Director of Athletic Healthcare Services. Thank you all so much for being here. See what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling them that I always make a mistake and for them to just relax, have fun. So see, I just did it. So thank you guys so much for being here. I appreciate it. Let's start a little bit about um, the history of the organization, Brent. Tell me a little bit about it. You know, so Athletic Care Sports Health Foundation, we were founded by Dr. Ronald Wagner. Um, he has a passion for youth sports. Um, he was a product of, you know, the St. Louis public school system, and um, he wanted to get back and give back, you know, and so we started, um, I, you know, we were conceptualized, I guess you could say, back in 2005, um, and from there it's really just grown into this foundation to where we can help provide schools and uh, with athletic trainers and help them gain access to it, you know, and so that's really kind so, of so the history the of it. Goal? The goal, so, you know, we kind of have a fourfold mission, um, promoting safer uh, sports programs, youth sports programs, empowering young athletic trainers, um, empowering athletic trainers in general, supporting the community, and then uh, protecting our student athletes. So we, um, as a nonprofit foundation, we go into underserved schools and help them gain access to athletic trainers um, and really create a comprehensive sports medicine um, healthcare system within the school. Um, and we can really be that initial on the uh, grounds, hands, and feet for those student athletes. Ashley, give me a sense of what do you do because you work in the University City Public School District, correct? Okay, so which schools are you? Or is it just one school or more than one school? Um, uh, within our school district, we just have one high school. So I work okay. at University City High School as their head athletic trainer. Um, and you know, I show up in the afternoons and I deal with all of the athletes and their injuries. Um, whether that be concussions, ankle sprains, muscle strains, um, both from a preventative aspect and a recovery aspect. And that's what I was going to ask about the preventative aspect. So what do you do with the students to prevent injuries? Um, I'm actually really big on injury prevention. So talking to the coaches, educating the kids and their parents on you know, what stretches they can do at home or what strengthening exercises they can do in our weight room or at the rec center um, to help their strengthen their bodies in order to prevent injuries. And you talked a little bit about the kinds of injuries that you've seen. Anything that has surprised you since you've been there? Uh-oh. <laughs> 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 uh <-oh. laughs> um, maybe just the commonality between like all of the different sports of the types of injuries at the high school level. Yeah. And so are you working with student athletes from various sports, basketball, football, you name it, you're yeah, doing it, right? Sport, yeah. yeah. So Brad, some of the injuries, and this is serious because some of these mm -hmm. injuries that the students can actually have can be career ending for them. Yes, ma'am, they can. So talk a little bit about that because this is critical. You know, and that's where the athletic trainer is 
so uh, key, their role, because you know we're the first line of defense to protect these student athletes, and we can really help prevent you know some of those career-ending injuries, um, things as little as a hamstring strain. Um, that could be a career-ending injury if not handled correctly. Concussions are a big thing. You know that's kind of our our nemesis, but we really you know pride ourselves on being the front line. Um, uh, uh, line of attack for concussions you know if it's managed correctly and these students are protective and everybody is educated on how to manage it we can you know not only save a career but save a life you know and so it's so important for us to get in there um, and you know there are catastrophic injuries that do occur you know so from an athletic training standpoint you know we help the student athletes cope with that um, sometimes we say we do a lot of mental therapy as, as well as the the rehabilitation and the physical aspect of it um, but working with the 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 uh, parents and the coaches and the athletes, you know, that's really where we can support them on all different avenues because our, all of us love athletics. We are all athletes at one time, but we know those careers are going to end sometime, and we hope that it's not because of an injury. Right. So is there an educational component with the programs that are offered? So for us, you mean like within the schools or right. for our athletic trainers right. that within, are going within through? Within the schools that your athletic trainers are going through. So yes, there's a big educational component. You know, we, we pride ourselves on really educating, you know, the parents, you know, that's the biggest thing, um, educating them on how to take care of their athletes. You know, you don't have to run to the ER, the urgent care for, for little bitty things, and we can really give them that confidence. Um, uh, educating the coaches, okay? It is okay for this athlete to participate. It is not okay because of X, Y, and Z, you know? Um, and that's where, you know, looking at concussions, you know, sometimes they just, the education is not there, and so it could increase the risk. Um, then educating them on you know proper um, emergency action plans what do you do if something goes wrong CPR training first aid training because as we would like to be at every single practice and every single game there's usually multiple games going on at the same time so our coaches need to be educated on how to handle a situation until we can get there so do you go to the games yes yes we are on site for every practice and every game you know um, and, and sometimes you know if there's games if you have a football game and then a um, you know a tennis match going on we're gonna go to the higher risk sport where it's more likely they're gonna um, be injured but we are there you know as much as we can be um, after school and for all the events just to create a safe environment for those student athletes the the visiting teams that come on the spectators you know that's what we're there for awesome Ashley give me a sense of the training that you actually went through to become a certified athletic trainer uh, it started, for, well, for most people it starts when they're like in high school and they get interested in athletic training. For me, it started at the college level. Um, I got into the athletic training program at my university and trained, took a bunch of classes for evaluation techniques, rehabilitation techniques, um, emergency management, and then you have to sit for the board of certification exam. And once you pass that, you become a certified athletic trainer. Well, see, that's good to know because some people probably think they can just walk off the streets and say, hey, I want to be an athletic trainer. But there yep. is some training that's involved, mm -hmm. right? right? And this yes. it's important for these athletic trainers to know their stuff. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. You know, we're currently in uh, National Athletic Training Month. It's the March, and it's really our ability to, to promote the profession and, and build awareness of the profession um, in, in the community. It's amazing, you know, how many people really don't know and understand exactly what an athletic trainer is. Um, and but the theme for this year is um, athletic trainers are healthcare. You know, we are healthcare professionals, and there's an extensive amount of education that we do go through um, to, to sustain that and ensure that we have the top level training to provide 
provide adequate health care. Yeah. So Ashley, give me a sense of what's a typical day like for you at University City High School. No day is the same. Oh, <laughs> I bet, right? Really it sounds like the news business. <laughs> yeah. um, every day I get into my office about 2 o'clock. Um, I start setting up, get myself mentally prepared. And set up for that day could be, you know, talking with my athletic director. It could be going on and talking to coaches earlier to let them know about, you know, how did athlete, how did the athlete do at practice yesterday if they didn't check in with me. Um, Two twenty school lets out, and I start pre-practice treatments, and that can go from. I usually like to go two twenty to three, get the kids out to practice, but. Um, for those kids that are off season or they have um, longer term rehab injuries, I will do their treatments during practice times. And then, you know, if I have a game, I'm kicking everybody out of my office and grabbing all my supplies <laughs> so I can hurry up and get out there. Um, I'll do treatments on the sidelines of games wow. if I have to, just so I can make sure that all of my athletes are getting that adequate health care that they deserve. So how do your athletes respond to you being an athletic trainer? Because I don't recall having an athletic trainer when I was in high school, and I was involved in sports. <laughs> Sound like my coaches. <laughs> um, at first, they were a little timid to come and talk to me, especially because I look so young. Right. So they were just like, she's, she looks like she's a high schooler. I don't really want to trust her. But now most of them, they're coming to me with every little thing. And I like it. It gets, you know, it could be tedious. It can be annoying even. But I know that they really do respect me and value my opinion and they want me to help them. So what kinds of things do they come to you with? Like, are they talking about their injuries or what are they talking about preventative um, care? Or what are they talking about? everything I mean like Britt mentioned earlier it's sometimes it's like a mental aspect as well and so I'll have kids that just want to come in and vent and I'll give them that opportunity as long as I'm not treating injuries but they'll come in and talk to me about you know mental health issues that they might be having aches and pains um, how to fix themselves how to fix a friend because they have friends that want to come see me but either they're not an athlete or they're too scared to come into my office yeah well that's good that you're there and you've obviously proven yourself because otherwise they wouldn't come to you so that's great yeah so brent talk about the psychological aspect of being an athlete because a lot of people don't realize being an athlete is physical and is mental it really is, you know, and especially in, you know, society today, the the demands, you know, of the athletes are you becoming higher at younger levels, you know, and so, you know, sports and sports specialization is really occurring, you know, in youth sports now, you know, six, seven-year-old athletes are really focusing on one sport, um, and so then you have the demand, they've been doing this for their entire life, they need to perform, they have, you know, coaches, they have their parents, they have their friends, and they really want to perform at that level for them, um, and so it's a struggle you know it's, it definitely is a struggle and we that is such a big component of what we do to protect our athletes is let them know we're gonna walk walk you through this you know relationships I think are what we are the best at as athletic trainers you develop those relationships you know like Ashley talking about her student athletes coming to her if you didn't have that relationship with them they wouldn't come to you they wouldn't trust you so when they get into the you know maybe darkest time of their athletic career they have the confidence that we're going to walk them through that, you know, walk them through the stages of progression, you know, mentally and physically. Yeah. So do you have any examples of a student who came and had a serious issue that you guys had to work, work out for them or with them? Um, I do. <laughs> Go for it, Ashley. It was a ton of um, Yeah. I, I've actually been blessed to have a ton of them. Um, one athlete that I can think of in particular um, tore an ACL twice, one one year and then the following year in another sport she tore the other one. And it was heartbreaking for her, you know, she 
wanted to go on to the next level to do sports and um, she felt like she couldn't, she felt like her career was over. And so it was really hard with her rehabilitation process trying to keep her motivated. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to talk to her mom like every single day <laughs> and talk with her doctors and her teachers and her coaches and her um, peers and we all worked as a team to keep her awesome. motivated. We would go out to practices and do her return to play protocol. I was actually doing her running return to play protocol with her and like, I was so exhausted. But <laughs> it made her feel better that I was doing that along with her. Right, that's so awesome. That is great. And Brent, talk about the importance of having that cohesive relationship with everyone on the team. You talked about the parents and the teachers and everyone, that's gotta be significant. It really is. I mean, we, we're a team and you know, and that's where, you know, um, open lines of communication are vital, you know, with everybody. And it, it, it is vital for everybody to know that it's not one person that's going to make this athlete successful or this rehab successful. It's going to be all of us working together. You know, whether it's a ankle sprain to, you know, concussions, going back to concussions. Um, there's a return to play protocol that we go through, but there's also a return to learn protocol. There's an aspect during the day that we're not on site, you know. Ashley says she got there, get, uh, arrives at the school at two o'clock, but during the day, what's going on when they're trying to learn and they're trying to get back into the educational system? So working even with the guidance counselors and the school nurses, it really is a collaborative effort, and I think that's what makes this the most enjoyable is seeing the product at the end and the success at the end, and knowing that we worked it together. Yeah. And then, how many schools are you in right now? So currently we're, you know, we're in 13 schools um, and I can't tell you, you know, there's over 20 different organizations that we do help um, provide athletic training services because it's, it's about just creating that safe environment, you yeah. know, and we want them to gain access to it. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I appreciate it. Stay with us. When we come back, we're talking about health care and how St. Louisans are helping to improve health care for folks thousands of miles away. Stay with us. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. You know, Gateway City leaders are working to tackle health care issues here at home and on the global stage. Joining me now, Pastor Larita Riceborn. She is the CEO of Empowerment of Grace and founding member of Global Impact Leadership Alliance, along with Gerard Barnes. He is the chief consultant of Global Impact Leadership Alliance. Thank you both so much for being here. For good to us. see you. Good to be yes, here. it's always good to see you. So Pastor Barnes, Barnes, just fill me in. Tell me a little bit about Global Impact Leadership Alliance. What is it? How did it come about? Wow, so uh, Global Impact Leadership Alliance, it is um, an organization that is working uh, to create relationships across the globe. Um, it was formed out of a conference that we started doing here, right here in the St. Louis area five years ago, and three years ago it went international. Uh, we began to work with parliament members in Uganda specifically on how we can um, bring economic development there, how can we create uh, legislation um, that will be able to help with the import and ex uh, export, and how can we get uh, business owners, particularly African-American business owners, uh, hyped up about doing business with, with Africa. Now, has that proved to be a success? 
Yes, it has. Um, last year uh, when we were here, we were uh, in the process of going to the Illinois State Capitol uh, to meet with some senators and congressmen there. And from that, we formed um, some relationships that are continuing now. Uh, matter of fact, Senator Claiborne, who uh, we went to meet, uh, loved the work that we were doing and the idea of it. And he got on board, uh, got in, invited to be a part of National Day of Prayer in Uganda, so did I, um, as a speaker. And those relationships are continuing to roll out. So uh, we've we've also connected with India. So that's a new part that got added nice. um, and how we can bring more business owners and investors to the table. So it's not just about economic development and improving economic relationships, Gerard. Yes. It's also about health care. Talk a little bit about well, that. Yes. A global culture of health is what we talk about. It's kind of it's kind of rolled out a few years ago by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, that sort of term. And one of the things we've been working on, it's about health care, but it's also a bigger picture of what health equity looks like and what it looks like to actually build a powerful movement that involves what the, the social determinants against people actually having health equity within their community. So it's about it's about poverty, it's about education, it's about the transforming so so it redefines the way we talk about the world in general the way that and so that people can and, and so and, and we kind of look at uh, the the habits of people who came from abject poverty who have made it and try to galvanize systemically what we can put around that group of people that can sort of look at that as a way of living and then try to fight systemically how to change things to upgrade that so how do you go about doing that well one of the things we do is we do we do a lot of work around um, Interventions uh, in terms of uh, look, look, looking at people's self-interest. We do a lot of we do a lot of um, conversations, one-to-one -one conversations, building out relationships and hearing people's self-interest. Find out what communities are thinking, and then we put those communities in front of community in front of leaders electeds and leaders to sort of express their thoughts and do what we call research actions and people begin to talk and listen and we found out that the number one way of building people in terms of organizing and building our community is to put them in put regular people in front of powerful people and have them express themselves and it changes the whole dynamic of the way people operate mm -hmm. and then what that does it it helps us to build through through through, through uh, listening campaigns huge numbers of people who then can begin to express their ideas so in certain parts of Africa we've already um, been mm -hmm. able to because she's working in Uganda, but we're also working, doing some work in Rwanda. We've already built six co-ops there where people are doing, actually building houses now. And people who were part of the, the genocide who 25 years ago had lost everything and now are building themselves back up. So it's causing a, a movement, we think, around Central and East Africa and ultimately in West Africa that's going to transform the way people, of course, you know, there's the issue of how politics are done, but we do it in a way where people can work and, and get powerful. And we hear over and over again, from people I never was able to talk in front of anybody for now I can even speak to powerful people mm -hmm. that is awesome and, and, and talking about speaking to powerful people I know Pastor Barnes you have <laughs> been to the St. Louis City Board of Aldermen meeting yes. you've met with the president of the St. Yes. Louis Board of Aldermen Louis Reed tell me about that so um, so last year was our uh, first encounter uh, particularly with the Board of Aldermen for the work that we're doing now and the conversations that we were having was um, how can we create sister city how can we have exchange with legislation um, how can we share ideas and from that they were excited about it so we began to sit down and have these conversations on 
who do we need to have at the table uh, for these relationships? Um, earlier today, we were at the America Central Port, and um, they are very uh, important to the work that we're doing because even in Africa, um, they have the products, but how do we move these products from there to here or from here to there? Um, not just being, he likes to talk about, not just being uh, missional, um, and that is not just commodity driven there in Africa, but how can we build up manufacture, uh, ma manufacturing uh, housing and things of that nature to further the work. So it's been really good. Yeah, and it's a lot of work. Why do you do it? Oh my God, I do it because, you know, that, see, that one-on-one, that one-on-one we got to laugh. About, right, 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 because that's part of what he doing his work is like, so why, your resume is good, but why do you do this work? Right. I think, when I think back, and even um, this past October when I got invited, to be a speaker at National Day of Prayer, um, one of the things that I was reminded of in my speech, when I was a little girl, like three, I had this dream of reaching Africa. I remember um, they would send out the mailers. I don't know if you remember that, but they send these mailers and they have these kids on there and say, uh, feed the children yes. and, and what have you. And so I would uh, beg and cry to my mom, can we send money not knowing that one day that I would actually have my feet on the soil of Africa or be w working with the dignitaries of Africa. Um, I come from a single family home uh, raised by my mother and my grandmother. Um, we wasn't fortunate to have a lot of finances for me to be able to do certain things that others around me were doing. So somehow, as a little girl, I developed this passion of helps, uh, wanting to feed the hungry from little, not knowing that it would turn into this world view um, and, and this idea of doing global work. So I do it because I love empowering people. I like seeing people smile and, um, and change their lives yeah. <laughs> and impact and um, meeting needs, being able to connect. I'm a connector and so I like bringing people together. Even ministerially, evangelism is one of my dominant um, uh, gifts, if you will, and so I found that networking and evangelism kind of work together. Mm -hmm. And um, I love bringing people together to help solve problems. So that's why I do it. Yeah. Joy, what about you? Because you laughed when I asked her the question. Yeah, I, th I think it's a very important question. I, I was born in, uh, in Elkhart, Indiana. And one of the things, and my dad had a ninth grade education. And our family was the second black family in Elkhart. He was born in 1928. And my grandfather came there before that. And I think one of the things about me was watching my father build relational power over the course of his lifetime. And then myself having at one point been caught up in the criminal justice system mm -hmm. and realized that it wasn't just about, after watching my father build this relational power and seeing that it was able to move people, not because he had an education, he had a ninth grade education, but because he knew people and because he had great relationships, he was able to move things. And then having been involved in the criminal justice system as, as what I call a victim of the criminal justice mm -hmm. system, um, I began to realize that we weren't in, a, in an area where there were a lot of bad apples that needed to be fixed. We were in a bad barrel that we had to address in a very serious way. So that made me know that I had to invest. That made me know I couldn't leave the people that I left behind there and not and not be a part of that movement. So that worked out for me. That started here in America, but it worked out globally when I saw people being left out. And I saw what's happening with NGOs around the world and the way NGOs sort of operate in the world. And I said, how could what if we had an opportunity to, to deal with people in a way where people could own their own destinies and we could walk together and, and walk as thought partners and not as colonizers. And that was a very important part of the way we began, I began to move in this this work and it made and it drives me every day. Yeah. So tell me, how were you involved in the criminal justice system and how did you get out? Yeah, I had a, I had a, um, I was at, I was a seminarian and uh, I went to court on a child support case with a son who was living with me. And uh, I had a child support case. I was in Indiana. 
they criminalized child support there. And I, wa I walked into the seminary and walked out with a, 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 a C felony because I had been, I had my son with me. I was behind on my child support. I was paying every week, but I was behind. And so somehow I walked into a courtroom thinking that we, we, we were going to make another arrangement. And they were, they were actually getting payments at the time, but somehow it felt better to put me in jail. And so I lost my son. I lost my place in school. I lost my place, my house, my, my apartment. And everything sort of left. And so I, and my son had to go back and away from me. And so I began to realize that that um, th when I sat in jail, I realized that there were people who either shouldn't have been there or definitely shouldn't have been there for that long. And so I spent my life trying to address that. And what does it look like to not, to, to not try to say, well, we should just obliterate all jails, but to say, how can we do this better? And, and, how, and so, and then that, that translated into this global culture of health. How do we do life better? where people who are locked out systemically can be, can, the doors can be open because oftentimes you don't have people who don't have wherewithal or brilliance or whatever. You have people who don't have opportunities or have been locked out by the opportunities of others. And so, and so, and so, and so that's what happened to me and how I got out of it was uh, with a whole lot of money that I didn't have and a whole lot of time that I didn't have and a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears that left us out. And it took us an incredible amount of time to do that. I said, I was, I was incarcerated for nine months through that period of time, uh, through home house detention and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it just taught us that, that we can't get out of this unless we really don't just change people, but change systems. That Good are point. People. Good point. Got to take a break. Stay with us back in a moment. Mm -hmm. Welcome back. There's a big conference coming up and you need to be involved. Pastor Barnes, let's talk about this big conference that's coming up. Reset America, Reset Africa is coming up April 11th through the 13th right here in the St. Louis area. Um, Africa is coming to you. That's kind of what we're saying. A lot of people want to go to Africa, but Africa is coming right here. The Deputy Speaker of Uganda is coming once again along with Parliament members. Also some dignitaries from Kenya is coming, so it is expanded out. Um, it, the sessions run from 10 a.m. to 2.30 uh, p.m. at St. Louis City Hall, 1200 Market Street. And then it closed out. We're doing an award ceremony uh, this year, we're honoring Judge Jimmy uh, Edwards, Deputy Speaker uh, Jacob Ulanya, Sen uh, Senator James Claiborne from uh, Illinois, and some others will be honored during this time. They can um, visit our website, uh, www.globalimpactnow.org, for registration information, uh, free meals included. That's and there's a spiritual empowerment session. Yeah. I don't want to forget that because yeah. the conference um, is inclusive of business and spiritual empowerment that happens 7 p.m. each night at our church, 10600 uh, Bell Fountain uh, Road. All right. Have fun at the conference and thank you guys for joining us. I'll see you next time. <laughs>